Thank you, Doug. Morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Lisa. I'm one of the ministers here at Christchurch. Come on, there's everything up here. Is this yours? Oh. Put it down. Three words our passage ends with. Three words from God. Repent and live. Three words which bring life. Well, as we at Christ Church mark Racial Justice Sunday, there are three words I want to say. I am sorry. I'm sorry for the pain and hurt I cause when I failed to combat the scourge of racism and racial inequality, where I failed to celebrate the beauty of diversity, where I failed to delight in our differences. I turn away from all of it and I turn to God to lead me in being proactively anti-racist and restoring justice. And I say that as well on behalf of the church. We are sorry and we turn away from all that we know is wrong and turn to Christ to guide us in the way of righteousness. God in our passage is calling individuals to confess their own sins and turn back to God and live And this is a new thing for the people of God. They have seen their collective guilt and assumed that responsibility lies with their ancestors. But God, through Ezekiel, wants to make it very plain that it's the individual's responsibility for their personal state. They will stand alone. Each one of us will stand alone on the day of judgment and give account. God judges us individually, the righteous being justified and the wicked will be judged. And it's a principle that is stated again and again in that passage uh, that Doug read, read to us. There's no mistaking its importance or its truth. And the passage also makes clear that each person is responsible for their present state. It's not what someone was that matters, but what they are. The righteous may become wicked, but equally the wicked may become righteous. God wants us to know that the door of repentance and restoration is open to everyone who will turn back. So later on we will see that the thief on the cross next to Jesus, who because he turned, entered into paradise after a wicked life. God's desire is for those who've turned away from him, those who our passage calls the wicked, to turn back to him, keeping all his commandments and doing what is just and right. You can sense Ezekiel's excitement as he announces the verdict for those who meet these conditions. They shall surely live. They shall not die, he says. The past rebellious acts will be discounted and their present righteousness will be all that matters. And God's promise was not a probationary restoration to the person who turns to him, but full restoration. 
The message translation puts the passage in the center there like this. But a wicked person who turns his back on that life of sin and keeps all my statutes, living a just and righteous life, he'll live, really live. He won't die. I won't keep a list of all the things he did wrong. He will live. I think somebody needs to hear that today. God does not keep a record of our wrongs. As we turn back to him, he wipes the slate completely clean. I think Ezekiel's audience needed to have a fresh vision of God, a God who is on the side of blessing and life, not on the side of the curse and death. But how about us? How do we see God? Do we, like much of humanity, believe he delights in judgment? Or do we see Jesus? Do we see Jesus taking the sins of the whole world upon himself on the cross in our place? Do we see God as the one who is willing and wanting each one to turn away from sin, to turn back to him and really live? And then we heard at the, towards the end of that passage, rid yourself of all your offences, get a new heart and get a new spirit. You see, Ezekiel wanted to point forward to the new covenant, the covenant of Jesus, of life transformation for those who repent is actually possible. You know, later in his book, Ezekiel will say, I will put my spirit, or God says through Ezekiel, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees, a reference to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all people, on all tribes and all nations, on all believers. So why this passage? Why did Doug pick Ezekiel 18? Well, we are in this series on worship and the shape of worship that is pleasing to God. And it perfectly depicts the dramatic effects of repentance, of turning back to God, and that invitation to life. But it also makes it very clear that the one who turns away from God or refuses to turn to God, well, that way leads to death. Repentance is uniquely Christian. There are many people in our world who will worship but only Christians who repent. And it's about laying before him and ourselves the things we've thought, we've said, or we've done, which fall short, and coming to God and letting him turn our lives around, giving us a fresh start. We have um, what's known as the prayer of penitence, and uh, it's one that we're familiar with, and it starts with the first part, which is confession. And it goes like this. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbor in thought, in word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. And God says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So why do we confess? Well, the Bible tells us to. That's a good reason. But it's the beginning also of restoration. 
And in my Bible over there, in, in Psalm 32, I've written next to it, confession is vital to my well-being. You see, in that psalm, the writer says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. My strength was sapped. I know what that feels like. I know when I haven't come to God, when I've kept things to myself, there's something about it. It gets to you. It makes you bone-weary. Confession helps us to see the reality of our situation. See, the Bible says our heart is deceitful. We can deceive ourselves and not know the truth. But when we confess, we begin to see things as God sees them. God knows the details of all our lives. He knows the details of our sins. And you might say, well, what's the point? You know, we know in Psalm 139, it says that God sees our going out and our lying down. He knows every word that is on our tongues. Sometimes we only know what's on our tongues after it's left. It's us who needs to catch up and catch up to God's perspective. And as we do so, as we bring to him the detail Father God, dear Father God, tenderly watches over us. And it is us acknowledging our appreciation for the breadth of his forgiveness. As we do, as we do that to God, we are bringing to the only one who knows all about us. The one who alone has divine power to transform that situation, transform us into becoming more like him. He's our counsellor. He's wonderful. You know, in laying bare our sins, we look also to the one who has the power to completely forgive all our sins. Christ has paid the price for all of them. And it is him who makes us whole and acceptable to God. You know that verse in Hebrews, throwing off all that hinders. I love it because it reminds us of that confessing. That's what confessing to God feels like. We throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us so that we can run the race with perseverance, the race that is marked out for you and for me. The reformer John Calvin, speaking of Jesus, said... It's like laying bare your wounds to the physician, to the doctor, Jesus, the great doctor, the loving doctor, the one who truly heals us. Our prayer of penitence goes on. You'll recognize these words. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and grant we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. But what is repentance? You see, repentance is a core aspect of our Christian faith, as I've said. The call to be baptized is to repent and believe. And it's not a, just a one-off repentance, but it's a way of life for us as disciples of Christ. So important a topic it is that in the New Testament, we see those first words of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus, as he started his public ministry, said those same words, repent, the kingdom of God has come near. And I just wrote down as I heard that 
recording. Rosa Parks could see that other world, it said. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God. The other world is here. And guess what? His disciples who followed him, who copied him, well, they went out preaching and saying, repent, the kingdom of God is here. Peter, who preached to the Jews, said the same thing. Paul to all the Gentiles, saying this, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And then right in the, at the end, in the book of Revelation, to the church at Ephesus, Jesus says, repent. Turn back to me. Come back home. But the next word I've got written here, if this is sounding a bit grim, because it's not grim, it's turning to life. I've got the word rejoicing. You see, Jesus says of repentance this, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. When we say those words of confessing what we know to be wrong. And when we say, I haven't got the answer, Lord, I turn to you and I listen and I wait for your instruction. There is more rejoicing in heaven than you will ever know, than we will ever know. So how do we go about it in reality? Because either we haven't got the words on the screen or at the nine o'clock we have it in a red book, but we live our lives Monday to Saturday as well. Well, repenting is simply a change of one's mind, to change one's mind. And of course, when we change our mind about something, naturally our behavior changes as well. Saying sorry, being sorry, or even feeling sorry is not the same. It's not the same as, re as repenting. You see, a person can feel emotionally sorry for something without ever un addressing the underlying issue. We see, of course, Judas, the disciple of Christ, who had great remorse over what he'd done to Jesus, but he did not repent. Conversely, Peter, who also had great remorse over his denial of Christ, in his case, he genuinely repented and changed direction, and therefore he was able to boldly proclaim Christ in the face of persecution. And let's be clear, repentance is not realizing something we are doing is wrong and then mending our ways, even if we succeed. Because if we do this without placing our faith in Christ and his righteousness, the righteousness that he provides, then we're simply trusting our own moral reformation. All those resolutions that we made just a month ago, case in point. <clears throat> Biblical repentance is the recognition we are helpless. We're helpless to save ourselves. What it is, is turning from the things that we know to be wrong to the one who paid for it to the one who can forgive us. And it's going further than admitting a particular behavior or attitude it's wrong. What it is, is submitting to God's truth and agreeing with him about his evaluation of our sin and then being willing to follow God's leading for us and not our own.
like faith, repentance, is a response to the work of God, the one who convicts us and convinces us of our error. And I've got a PowerPoint, and it's not in my back pocket. Um, We've got some photographs. If you could bring up the first photograph, I want to introduce you to um, two people. First of all, here, this is Claudine. Now, Claudine, I met exactly two years ago today in Rwanda. I was invited on a trip with a tear fund to Rwanda. And I met Claudine. She is part of a Christian-run CASA project, which, uh, well, where she met the Lord and was born again, receiving Jesus as her saviour and her Lord. And two years prior to this photograph, she received the cow that you can't see um, feeding on a whole load of grass, that has been picked for her by the person in the next photograph, who is Francois. I'll tell you about Francois in a moment. Now, Francois and Claudine, you can just see Claudine in the background there. Claudine was greatly affected by the genocide of 1994. Both her parents and her siblings, all her siblings, were murdered uh, in that year. And for 14 years, when Prisoners were languishing in the the jails across Rwanda. Claudine had that sense of profound hurt, of loss. Uh, She was brought up by her uncle, um, who I also had the privilege of meeting. But she was hurt, she was wounded, she was living in unforgiveness. Francois, meanwhile... He is now helping to rebuild the village life, and in particular, Claudine's life and that of her family. For the past two years, he's been helping her raise that cow, providing all the grass for it and helping out with all the duties, including building the um, cattle shed, which is attached to Claudine's house. What you have to know about Francois, he was... Claudine's parents' neighbour, and whilst in prison, confessed to being their murderer. Yet now, here we see them, and I think we've got another picture of them, sharing their story, both of them now knowing Christ and living in that forgiveness that only Christ can bring to all of us learning to live side by side, doing life together, really experiencing, particularly Francois, that he, as he confessed his sin and turned away from it to God, experiencing life again. And there, Claudine, still struggling with the fact that most of her family are no longer alive, and yet living alongside Francois, knowing the power of forgiveness. She learnt, as she learnt about Christ, that forgiveness is something that releases her, releases us from all the pain and the hurt. That is a picture of repentance. And together with confessing, it profoundly reconciles us to God, It begins to restore the joy of our salvation and sets us free to worship our God and enjoy him forever. That is why in worship we confess and we repent, turning to God who is more than able. Amen.